0: Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your co-hosts are Ronnie Langer-Kroger and Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is your host.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Envision. I'm your co-host, Thomas Rosenberg. Today, we'll be revisiting the topic of our most popular episode to date. That topic is money. Money is an important topic because many of us don't know what it is, nor do we understand the systemic issues that prevent good intentions from coming to fruition. We are also often unclear about the impact of new technological innovations that change how and where money is created and used. Today's show intends to link to some of the points from our first episode on money, as well as provide time to dive deeper. Some of the themes we'll be exploring include the money and banking system, questions to consider when exploring alternative currencies, what it means to fully align our investments with our values, and the systemic challenges to aligning those investments with our values. We'll also look at the benefits that can accrue from investing locally. To do this with me is Marco Vangelisti, a 100% impact investor. He is a founding member of Slow Money and the National Coalition for Community Capital. Marco speaks nationally as a guest lecturer and author, and has created a curriculum for engaged citizens to understand the money and banking system, which can be accessed at his website, Essential Knowledge for Transition. He was a guest on the first episode on money and has generously agreed to come back on the show for this
2: deeper dive. Marco, welcome back. Thank you, Thomas. I'm glad to be back.
1: Thank you. This is I'm, I'm delighted. This is going to be hopefully a lot of fun for, for everyone. So you've spent the last five years educating the general public about large systems of money and banking, economics and finance, and helping them move towards more ethical investing. What was your personal journey that led you in this direction?
2: Well, I was uh, working uh, in finance for a number of years. In the last couple of years, I was part of a team managing uh, $20 billion in emerging markets equity, and we were doing very well. And most of our clients were actually uh, endowment endowments and foundations including environmental foundations and we were managing the portfolio in a quantitative way so we were using computers to decide um what to invest in and how to weight it but at a certain point i asked myself how we got to generate those great financial returns and i found that one of the best performing stocks in our portfolio was a palm oil company that had destroyed tens of thousands of acres of rainforest which is the habitat of the orangutan And that was quite strange because we were managing that money in part for some environmental foundations whose very reason to exist was to protect those habitats. And that was the moment when I realized uh, we are part of a system that, uh, because it's so complex and so intermediated, makes us do things that are really uh, nonsensical. So that's when I uh, walked away from finance in 2009, which, by the way, was not an easy thing to do in the middle of an economic recession. And I uh, started on this quest to understand the large systems, money and banking, economics and finance, and share that knowledge with uh, uh, the various movements of which I found myself a part of the time, like the Occupy movement, the public banking movement, the slow money movement, and the uh, transition movement.
3: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: Wow. So why is it important for us to, as regular folks, to understand how these large systems work?
2: Well, in part is um, because to have a functioning democracy, people need to be uh, empowered to understand, uh, look critically at, and redesign what is effectively an operating system of society. In other words, we might be well-intentioned and try to bring about a better society, a more sustainable uh, presence on this planet, but our efforts may be frustrated by the very design of those large uh, systems, money and banking, economics, and finance. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit. So in my view, it is really key to Uh, both the democratic process and the long-term survival for everybody to have access to that understanding uh, and feel empowered to challenge and redesign uh, those systems.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so could you give us a brief primer on on what money is and how it's created so that listeners can start to get a sense of, of how these large systems are working?
2: Sure. Yeah, one of the main misunderstandings, that, uh, first of all, there are very different types of money, right? There's a the dollar, uh, which is a national currency. There are local currencies, there are cryptocurrencies, and so on. Uh, I'm just talking right now about the dollar system, uh, and if you ask people, you know, who creates uh, the, the money in our pocket, they will say, well, the government creates uh, the money, or maybe they say the Federal Reserve uh, creates right. that money. So and the, is, these,
1: are, these are the fiat currencies,
2: whether you're... the fiat currency, yes. And, you know, yeah. all our debts are denominated in dollars. At the end of the day, you know, we can't pay off our student loan with, uh, you know, with uh, with alternative currencies, uh, you know, uh, although Bitcoin is, is convertible into dollars. But uh, at the end of the day, we have to use dollars to uh, get rid of our debt and to um, transact with each other, mostly. And mm-hmm. the thing that people don 't understand is that uh, the Federal Reserve yes, issues some of the money we use, specifically the paper money we have in our pocket, which is used less and less. People right now use you know their credit cards, they use their um, you know checking accounts and so on. Most of the money we use is electronic money, which is created in the process of lending by the private banking sector so And this is like the little magic of money Uh, when you go to a bank and you apply for a mortgage the bank uh, after you sign your mortgage will uh, accept the mortgage as part of its assets and will create brand-new electronic money in your checking account that did not exist before and this very uh, feature which is at the essence of banking and what has allowed to mobilize a lot of economic activity also has a dark side which is the fact that banks at times in the pursuit of profit create too much of that money. And an example of that obviously was in the run-up to the financial crisis when they were lending uh, more and more to um, people that couldn't possibly repay uh, mortgages to buy homes and inflated a big bubble. So uh, to a certain extent, what we need to understand is that uh, money uh, has a couple of features. I'm talking about the dollar. First of all, Money is hierarchical in the sense that there are different types of money. So the paper money we hold in our uh, pocket, which is issued by the Federal Reserve, is of a higher quality than the electronic money that the banks create. And yet that's the one that we mostly use. The, uh, they, they usually are fungible in the sense that you can go to a bank and get your cash in, you know, paper cash, and vice versa. You can deposit your paper cash and get a an electronic version of that money on your banking uh, checking account. But that is not always true. And during banking crises, you notice the different the difference between those two types of money. It's also true that when I was working with the Public Banking Institute, a lot of activists were thinking that. Money create, uh, you know, banks create money, that's true, but they don't create the money they need to settle their own accounts. They still need federal fund deposits, which is something that the Federal Reserve creates to settle their own accounts. But the the bottom line is our money system is primarily uh, at least the quantity of money in circulation determined by the the banks and Mm -hmm. their assessment of how many uh, loans they can issue. And they tend to issue too many loans during good times and too few loans or not renew the loans that are out there during recession, therefore increasing the, the, the swing in the economic cycle.
1: Fascinating. Okay. And so you're, you've talked a lot about the, the, the banking side of things, but I'm just wondering if it would be helpful to at least give a, a higher structure of for example there's there's federal money right there are various participants in the money and banking system right obviously we're we're the end user and there's the banking the, the the banking system itself the the banks themselves but there's also the federal government or the the national government if we're talking internationally so how does that what are the other participants and what are their roles in in this banking
2: system well here's the interesting thing is that uh, the The federal government is, at the end of the day, the guarantor of the dollar. Mm -hmm. And we've seen uh, the government uh, act in this role when the um, money that the banking sector created in the run-up to the financial crisis was excessive, and when their assets, which was all the, the loans that they made, was not as good as they thought. And the whole uh, money banking system was going to collapse, and so the, the, the government stepped in with the TARP program, the, the trouble Asset Relief Program, and mm-hmm. cleaned up the books of the banks, therefore guaranteeing the, the money system, uh, even though the banks were the one issuing it, uh, issuing most of that, of that money. Unfortunately, the Federal Reserve did not uh, act uh, uh, strictly enough to limit the amount of money creation and lending that was going on in 2005, 2006, 2007. But at the end of the day, if you look at the money creation, the Treasury creates the coins in our pockets, and that's actually debt-free money. The Federal Reserve creates the paper money we use, which is really uh, a small percentage. I think there are about $700 billion worth of that in circulation in the United States. And uh, the banks create the electronic money we use every day. And that is, uh, you know, in excess of $3 trillion right now. So, um, you know, the banks are creating most of the money, but the Federal Reserve is uh, basically supporting the banks in that process and the federal government at the end acts uh, as the ultimate guarantor of the money so created
1: okay okay that's really helpful thank you for for explaining that so what are the questions when people are are looking at at a money system whether that's a, a fiat currency or cryptocurrency or local currencies what are the questions people need to ask
2: well, some of the basic questions are, and I have to um, to explain one concept, which is the concept of seniorage. The seniorage uh, is the difference between the cost of producing money and the face value of that money. An example is a hundred dollar bill, uh, which uh, cost about twelve cents to produce. In other words, uh, you know, the printing and, and the actual uh, ink cost and paper cost is twelve cents for every. Uh, $100 bill, but it's worth $100. So it's a big difference between, you know, what it costs to produce and what you can buy with it. So Mm -hmm. here are the questions. The first one is, who creates money, right? And so in the case of the national currency, uh, most of the money is created by the private banking sector when they make loans. A little bit of that is created by the Federal Reserve when they, um, you know, print the actual physical money, which is a, uh, a minority. Now, if you think about the Bitcoin system, uh, you know that the money is created to reward uh, the entities that are part of the network that uh, validate the transactions. Um, the second question we need to ask is: By what authority is the money created? And this is interesting in our um, in our current money system because the Federal Reserve has the authority um, by the Federal uh, Federal Reserve Act of, uh, I think, it's 1913. Uh, to issue money, but we haven't really had a discussion about the authority of the banks to create most of the money we use. Uh, The third question is really, who captured the seniorage? Who has the right to create money and basically pay just for the cost of that creation, but then put it in circulation at face value? And again, we can get into that um, in this short segment, but if your um, audience is interested in in understanding more, I can, maybe we can have the link to my uh, you know, hour-and-a-half lecture on this, and they can get all the details. <laughs> the, okay. the last four questions are, what is the money backed by? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, in the past, it was backed by gold. Now, what is it backed by? Uh, who benefits and who bears the risk of money creation? And who controls the overall quantity of the money out there? And what incentives drive money creation? We have to leave it at that because the answer of this would require too much time. But again, uh, your audience can access that content on my website I'll be glad to provide you the link to my talk.
1: Okay, no, that would, be, that would be awesome. So, what does our current money system have to do with investing?
2: Well, and this is another thing that uh, very few people understand, is that most of our investments are done with leveraged money. Uh, there was an article recently, for example, about, you know, when uh, the um, uh, the Bitcoin went up to like $20,000 a Bitcoin and, you know, has come down a little bit now. But uh, part of that run-up was a lot of money coming into the space and trying to buy those limited Bitcoins. Um, well, a number of investors in Japan were leveraged 15 to 1. In other words, they were putting up, um, let's say, 1000 And they were getting $14,000 loans from the bank to buy those currencies, right? And this is true mostly around the world. If you look at the investments we make and the amount of financial capital in circulation, a lot of it is leveraged. In other words, it's still predicated on money created by the banks in the process of lending. Let me give you just one simple example. I was working... Um, a couple of years ago for an impact fund buying conventional uh, farmland and convert it into organic, and this was like a fund that people could invest in. And the company was, the fund was approached by uh, an institutional investors in Japan. The name of the investor is Oryx. It's mostly a real estate and financial company. And they had, they wanted to take a really big stake in, in the fund we are, I asked them, you know, how did you get all this money? How much money do you have to deploy in the United States? And they said, uh, we have $5 billion and we're in a rush to, uh, to invest it in farmland. And I said, wow, how did you get that? And basically what they did is they have a um, – their company is trading on the stock exchange in Tokyo, and it's worth $20 billion. And they went to one of the Japanese banks and asked them, could you leverage us 5 to 1? In other words – can you lend us $80 billion so that we have $100 billion to invest? And a bank said, sure, um, more than glad. How did they come up, the bank, with $80 billion? They just created it. They accepted the promise to repay us their asset and created brand new $80 billion in uh, new money that now is chasing investment returns. So the reason why the bubbles deflate so hard is that, Some of those investments are leveraged, and uh, investors need to repay the banks when the value of what they've invested in is no longer sufficient to support that level of indebtedness.
1: Mm -hmm. Wonderful. After a short break, we'll continue our conversation with Marco Vangelisti.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations, and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit regenerate.coach.
1: on the
0: Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Marco Vangelisti and we were talking about how the definition of money changes depending on the participant's view and some of the questions that need to be asked regarding who, the structure of a money system alternative currency and, and local currency questions, and how the sh- structure of the money system shapes investment behaviors. Now I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit, Marco, to slow money and some of the benefits and challenges of investing locally. So could you define what slow money is for us?
2: Sure. So slow money comes out of the slow food movement. The slow food movement started in uh Italy in 1989 by Carlo Petrini when the first fast food restaurant opened in Rome, and he said, no, we don't want fast food, we want slow food. And slow food is basically the whole uh, cultural and, and traditional um, understanding of food locally produced with um, you know good heirloom varieties and the the diversity of recipes and so on, and so slow money comes out of that movement and says, if we like slow food, then we need a way to finance it. It's almost like a CSA of investments, right? The CSA is a is a community supported agriculture is where people pay in advance for the produce that will come out of a farm and share the risk with the farmer. Well, the idea of slow money is to take some of the money that is uh, whizzing around the world in cyberspace or uh, on computer uh, networks around the world, financing who knows what, and bringing it down to earth, literally. So it's basically investing in th- uh, farm food enterprises close to home with the ultimate goal of restoring the fertility of the soil. Mm
3: -hmm. And this is
2: something, an idea that came out of um, a guy, Woody Tash. Woody Tash used to be uh, the president of um, Investor Circle and um, has been operating at the intersection of investments and philanthropy. And uh, in 2008, he came up with this book called uh, Inquiries into the Nature of Slow Money, investing as if food farms and fertility mattered. It's really a conversation about the fact that our food system is broken, our financial system is just too complex and too hard to understand, and we may fix both of them by taking some of our money and put it to work in the local economy to restore the fertility of the soil.
1: That sounds awesome, and it also just, I, what comes to mind immediately for me are, are some of the efforts around carbon farming and, and trying to use farming practices to offset climate change and enhance soil fertility locally as well as reduce soil erosion.
2: Oh, so. absolutely. And in fact, if you think about this, is uh, fertility in the soil means carbon in the soil so because yes. the organic matter in the soil is the carbon. And yep. so the more fertility you have in the soil and the more you're using the soil as a carbon sink.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's also just interesting for me just to immediately think about the the intersection of a broken money system and a broken food system. So just thinking about what some of the incentives that have driven big ag to where it is today. So right. on that point, What are some of the benefits of investing locally? You've touched on it a little bit, but if you could dive into that a little bit more.
2: Yeah, you know, there is uh, this new movement of impact investing, right, which is the idea of paying attention to what your investments are doing out there, not just what returns uh, are generating and uh, how risky they are, but also what are they bringing about out there in the world. I mean, my key... um, idea there is that uh, the investments we make today are shaping the world we're living in, right? They're not happening on a different planet and only the financial returns that we pay created to us. We are shaping our world through our investments, so we better pay attention to that. Now, for impact investing, Usually people think about in the third world, you know, helping farmers around the world or solving poverty or uh, you know, water issues. And you need the intermediaries that can actually guarantee or measure those impact effects. They say, yes, so many jobs saved, so much water created, so much uh, poverty alleviated, and so on. When we do local investing, we're doing line of sight investing. And we don't need a third party telling us that our investments are doing good out there because you can just check them out yourself, whether it's your favorite baker, your favorite restaurant, your favorite farmer, you can go and visit, right? And so the benefits of local investing is that it reconnects you to the larger uh, context, for our investments. We are kind of blind in general when we do regular investing about what those investments are doing out there. And local investing allows us to see the physical and material impact in our own community of the investments we make. So that's, I would say, is, is, the, main, um, is the main positive aspect of local investing is it makes us more aware of the fact mm-hmm. that investments have impact and we can actually see and sometimes taste and smell the effect of our investments.
1: So what are some of the elements or key factors that people need to keep in mind when investing locally? Are there gonna be changes in expectations?
2: Yeah, well, to a certain extent, I mean, investing, when you invest locally, you have to keep in mind that um, uh, it's a different type of investing, right? Because it's primarily a relationship investing. You could say that uh, most investment uh, investments we make you know we might have a relationship with our financial advisor right, and they might know a number of mutual fund companies, but in reality we have no uh, relationship with the people that at the end of the day are using our money when we invest through wall Street and so um, local investing is really relationship investing, which means that um, we uh, can do our own Analysis of the situation. We can um, meet the entrepreneur. We can taste uh, his or her products. And another thing that we need to keep in mind, obviously, is this type of investing is more risky, of course, than buying a well-diversified, um, you know, basket of, of stocks and bonds through our mutual funds. And so it needs to be done a little bit uh, uh, carefully and with a, a slice of the portfolio. That we can, if you want, put at risk, but is very rewarding and it 's necessary if we want to build uh, resilient communities and have a chance to being around for a few generations as earthlings, mm-hmm. so there are certainly uh, non financial benefits to doing that, having said that, one um, people people need to recognize that most of the capital that is deployed locally is kind of a concessionary capital, right? So if uh, you do a loan to a farmer, you're not going to charge them uh, 10 to 20%, which is probably uh, accurately reflecting the, the risk involved. You're going to lend them money at uh, 4 or 5 6%, with the understanding that most of the return is intangible, is in the form of having your favorite uh, produce around, uh, you know, having uh, a connection, a relationship with the land and with the farmer.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and and there's also the I guess the other intangibility is just building those those ropes as it were, between different members of the community that that connection that happens within the organ, within the community's organization.
2: Right. And a lot of the uh, I mean a lot of the local investing I've done um, I've done through the local Slamani group. So I started uh, with a couple of other people, the Northern California. Uh, network of Slow Money, and I've been involved at the national level as a founder and uh, as a uh, member of the steering committee when we had one. And uh, most of the investing has been done within that group as a uh, as a sports activity, if you want. So it's it's uh, we come together, we look at a particular opportunity, we go and visit the farm or the particular business together, we exchange ideas and and we think about it. And then we make our own investments. So it's certainly better to do it as a team sport. It's more fun. And uh, you'll learn a ton from the other people that are looking at the same investment.
1: Mm -hmm. That's awesome, that's awesome. So one of the, that actually raises the question in my mind about one of the questions that you posed in the first segment around who benefits or, and who bears the risk of money creation. And Mm -hmm. so I was – what's coming to mind for me is really a question around inclusivity. Obviously, there's an issue in the current structure of the money and banking system around inequity. And Mm -hmm. so how do you – or inequality, I should say. So how do you ensure that a money system is inclusive, especially at the local level? And also how can can the community or people be more – conscientious and aware of how they're facilitating greater inclusivity in Mm -hmm. their decisions?
2: Well, this is a big question, so I'll see if I can uh, (laughs) tackle it quickly. But, you know, on one hand, uh, the owners of capital are a small segment of the population, usually uh, mostly white males, let's say. So if you look at the venture capitalists, uh, the vast majority of them are Men, uh, mm-hmm. and most of them are white men, right? right. And uh, if you think about even entrepreneurs, you know, young entrepreneurs going into the business, who are the ones that are going to receive the funding? Well, are the people that are well connected, that have been to a good school, that come from a, a wealthy family with a lot of uh, wealthy um, uh, networks around them, right? That then can provide the starting capital. Very hard for. Uh, a minority member or an immigrant to have access to that type of capital and being able to be a successful entrepreneur. Enter the new uh, regulations around uh, money-raising the JOBS Act, the crowdfunding, and other uh, platforms like Kiva, Zip, and uh, WeFunder and so on, which have allowed the community to participate in local investments at a much uh, lower entry point, right, venture capitalists tend to write very large checks. Uh, or if you have a private deal, if we're talking about, you know, $50,000, 100000 uh, a pop. But with those platforms and those new securities re- regulations, people can invest as little as $100. The interesting study that came out of a, um, a group that is uh, aggregating all those various platforms is called Investibule.co, mm-hmm which I would recommend people take a look at, um, found that when you're doing that, when you're opening local investments at small increments to the community, the minority people and the um, women get a higher rate of successful raises. So in other words, the community is rallying behind the people that in the past have been denied access to capital, either because of their race or because of their gender. And so this is a very hopeful uh, direction that we see by opening up uh, local investing to the local community, we see more minority and more women becoming entrepreneurs and being supported.
1: That's really fascinating because I, I just from uh, thinking of international development and, and micro enterprise efforts, you know, microcredit. You think about the Grameen Foundation, and and what's happened both in South Asia and elsewhere is that if you lend money to men, the money doesn't go into the community. If you lend money to women, it stays in the community. There is a a measurable increase in in family welfare, in support, and so there's a lot of of benefit, and it's just fascinating that it's taken something like the Jobs act or or other crowd fund funding opportunities to have that recognized here in in the us as well
2: right yes, absolutely uh,
1: so is so I'm just thinking about also to, to unpack this question a little bit further you, you thinking about alternative currencies, whether not necessarily cryptocurrencies, but just thinking about Baybucks. Or, or duck bucks in Oregon or, you know, some of the other local currencies, are there, are these automatically inclusive or is there, are there questions that people need to ask to ensure that when they structure something like this or they explore different opportunities to slow money down that they can really be focused on, on addressing some of the, the inequality that currently exists?
2: Right. Well, um, you know, local currencies can be designed for specific uh, uh, aims. Um, one, uh, the furia, uh, furia kipu, uh, which is a, um, a currency, is called a care currency in Japan, is designed so that the elderly can get care even though their relatives are not nearby. And if their relatives are somewhere else, they can provide the care to the local elder And they earn credit that they can transfer to their parents or relatives in a different city, and they can spend it to obtain the care that would have otherwise received from their relatives if they had been close by. So uh, what I'm saying is that there are ways to create local currencies that can address specific issues, uh, inequality being one of them. Uh, Most of the local currencies I've seen are started by young male in their 20s and they peter out after a couple of years because they don't design them well and they uh, overlook the uh, important design features of a working local currency. But that is a longer conversation that we might have another time.
1: Okay, fair enough. We're speaking with Marco Vangelisti and we'll be right back after a short break.
3: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit regenerate.coach.
3: and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working For You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA presspass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back. We are here with Marco Vangelisti and we were discussing locally, investing locally, the challenges, the benefits, and how to make a money system more inclusive. So Marco, if people are interested in exploring how to slow money down in their own community? What resources do you recommend they explore?
2: Well, certainly they can uh, first get inspired by the slow money uh, message by buying the book uh, um, Increase into the Nature of Slow Money, Investing as if Food, Farms, and Fertility Mattered" by Woody Tash. I would highly recommend that. They'll find it uh, one of the most poetic books on finance they will have ever read. Um, and the other one is go to slowmoney.org, which is the website of the national organization, and there is a section there that uh, looks at the local networks and local activity, and so they can find out um, where, where they can connect locally. And if they're interested in starting something new, they can certainly get in contact with me or with um, the national organization and see if we can uh, help them start something in their community.
1: Mm-hmm. What, what is uh, – what's the, the website for the national organization? Is that slowmoney.org or is it –
2: slowmoney.org, yes.
1: Okay, okay. Because you also – I also mentioned at the top of the show the, the National Coalition for Community Capital, but I think that that's focused slightly differently, is it not?
2: Yeah, the National Coalition for Community Capital is basically an effort to promote local investing. Slow money is local investing focused on food and farming. But mm-hmm. we see as the National Coalition for Community Capital, uh, a need for local investing that goes also beyond that. It could be you know power generation, uh, other types of manufacturing in the local e- uh, economy and so on so yes
1: okay, and are there would, would you recommend that who who do you think would be the right person to? To recommend some uh, or to explore some of this, are you? Are we focusing this answer on people in municipalities, and people in nonprofits, people in certain types of businesses? What, who, who might most benefit or be the the right catalyst?
2: Well, uh, so depending on what we're talking about, uh, slow money is certainly for individuals, uh, foodies, uh, local uh, food entrepreneurs. That's Mm -hmm. basically the audience for uh, slow money. In terms of uh, community investing, um, the economic development uh, corporations or economic development offices or local community foundations, the the, uh, National Coalition for Community Capital is the place to go. Um, just to understand and learn more about uh, both the new securities laws and all the ways in which a local community can mobilize local capital for local benefits.
1: Super. So on that point, are there ordinances or, or funding structures that communities themselves, perhaps at, at the municipal level, will need to take into consideration – for for moving forward with developing a community capital structure, or is this really better addressed from private sector organizations?
2: Uh, no, it's across the board. In fact, uh, we had an amazing conference uh, called ComCap down in community capital in Monterey. Uh, I would um, uh, certainly recommend people check out ComCap or, or just uh, – or just Google it um, to find out when the next conference is. They're already lined up. I believe uh, uh, this year is going to be in uh, in uh, uh, Michigan and next year in Vermont. But uh, it's really open to everybody and all the players can be involved. There are something that uh, local uh, municipalities or actually local counties and so on can do. There's an interesting experiment up in uh, uh, New Brunswick in Canada And they are offering a 50% tax uh, rebate for local investing, which is really fabulous. In other words, if you invest uh, $1,000, you get a uh, $500 tax credit uh, from the local municipality. They have recognized the incredible importance in terms of local employment and economic development of local investing, and they're willing to subsidize it that way. So that's certainly something to consider and you know that, for example, the federal government says uh, if you do a donation, you can write it off, and so you get 30, 40 cents out of every dollar that you pay in, in uh, tax rebate, right? So it's the same idea, but can be actually implemented at the local level uh, to support the local economy.
1: And, and just out of curiosity, I, I hadn't heard about the, the program in New Brunswick. Do you know how much, how much money that has opened up or, or made available?
2: I do not know, I but I can point you to uh, uh, an article that talks about it.
1: Okay, what, what's the article?
2: You, I will send you, have, you the link.
1: Oh, you'll send me the link and I will put that on the on the Facebook sure. page. Okay, yes. awesome. So, turning more towards what you're focused on right now, could you describe what you're offering at EK4T and Essential Knowledge for Transition and what else you're,
2: you're up to right now? Sure, yeah. So as I said, Essential Knowledge for Transition started as this effort of sharing my understanding of the large systems with the general population, and I ended up doing a series of three talks, which I gave around the country. And uh, um, after a couple of years of doing that, people would come to me and say, would you manage my money? Uh, which I didn't want to do because I've been in a fiduciary role before. And I, but I decided that it would be good to have some more investor education out there. So Essential Knowledge for Transition right now, it's focused on helping caring individuals move towards ethical finance with their investments. And so it's really about learning the basics of portfolio management, understanding the terms and concepts, Understanding what are the things that really motivate people besides uh, financial returns. I mean, what people care about, what are the things they don't want to participate in with their investments, whether that is global warming, fossil fuels, the prison system, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And how? what are the options out there and and how um, would people move in that direction? So I have on my website, which I recommend people to check out, it's an extensive um Amount of resources is called number 4 tcom Stands for Essential Knowledge for Transition. And uh, there are my three talks on the money banking system, the economic system, the financial system. They can find in my blog uh, articles on the economy, articles on local investing, and so on. I also started recently a live uh, Facebook program, so a little broadcast, uh, five minute live broadcast on Wednesday, and uh, so people can tune into my Essential Knowledge for Transition Facebook page. They can like that, and then they can watch that. Maybe I'll send you the, um, the first episode, so you can have people link to that if they want. And yes. that's pretty much it. So it's mostly um, um, how do we align our investments with our values, investor education, and I have also a webinar series um, on my website to help people understand large systems and understand, my, you know, the uh, uh, the financial system and why it's important to move our money in a better direction.
1: Out of curiosity, what do you feel would happen if there was this big a shift? How fast do you think the the economy or even the culture of the country would change if there was an all mass shift to a combination of slow money and and community capital investment? Well, it
2: would be the great turning. You know, the great turning is the shift in society and all its institutions that is required to bring about an environmentally regenerative, socially just, and spiritually fulfilling human presence on this planet. And I think if we start moving our capital, uh, that would be one of the biggest levers to shift Mm -hmm. society And its culture in the right direction. One sign that we are already succeeding is that the uh, person, the the chief uh, executive officer of uh, BlackRock, which is the largest uh, mutual fund company in, I think, in the world, they have six trillion dollars under management, uh, wrote in a a recent letter to the shareholders that uh, the company is sending a signal to other corporations in which they invest and they hold as, as, a, as an asset, uh, that they cannot simply pursue profit, but they need to do right by society. This is really big. And I think our efforts are really shifting the culture is going to happen. Sometimes cultural shifts can be very fast. Right. And so I'm hopeful that uh, programs like yours and the work I'm doing in the world uh, is nudging you know, our culture in the right direction and the more people join and the more fun it's going to be.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Most definitely. I agree with that. I, out of curiosity, the you know, most social, if you look back in, at, at social movements, there tends to be a tipping point of around 19%. And I was just curious if you had any any figures of how, where we were in terms of the amount of money invested currently, at least in the U.S., and what's being invested currently in slow money and community capital?
2: Well, it's uh, it, it's very hard to say, but uh, what what we know is socially responsible funds and what is called ESG investing is now well-established. More yeah. and more funds are uh, flowing into that. We're talking now trillions of dollars invested in uh, ESG funds and socially responsible investment funds. That's a first good step, but people shouldn't stop there because at the end of the day, most of those funds uh, contain the stock of large corporations, and a lot of those are not necessarily behaving very well, though they're being nudged in the right direction. Uh, Slow Money has mobilized something like uh, uh, $50 million in 600 little enterprises. Now, that sounds really small, but those type of investments are really catalytic, and the cultural value of the conversations and activities on the ground is really invaluable. Um, and uh, you know, for the rest, the new platforms like Kiva, Zip, and uh, uh, you know, Indiegogo and Kickstarter, those are donation platforms. And if you think about the new crowdfunding regulation, crowdfunding uh, investment platforms like WeFunder and so on, I think already mobilized. Um, you know, in the 50 to 60 billion dollars, you know, if you add them all up or more wow. of capital. Right. So, mm-hmm. we, you know, it's it's already registering and it's the beginning. And I think that especially I'm so excited about the millennial generation that is already on board with the things I'm saying and they're just trying to figure out, you know, how do we deploy our capital, the one that we inherited or the one that we're earning through our works, in a way that is building the better world we want.
1: Right. Right. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. i been, I'm hopeful because I I also imagine that, well, I, I think it's just powerful that, as you mentioned, that the, the CEO of BlackRock said that there needs to be a broader perspective given and being perhaps the largest institutional investor in the world, in some ways, at least being able to be an activist, in how they are driving the conversation in, in boardrooms around the world is, is right. uh, very and hopeful. Ma- make
2: no mistake, that was not uh, something that he woke up with, right? He was uh, reading the tea leaves. He was uh, reading the right. writing on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Society is demanding this uh, and it, it's us with our purchasing decisions, whether it's, uh, you know, for goods or for financial products, we are sending the message we want to buy, we want to be invested in ways that are not destroying the planet and are not just uh, maximizing profit and then find ourselves in a, you an know, unlivable planet. We want to, yes, do good, but also, um, you know, pay attention to, to uh, the, the larger context of our investments or of our right. purchasing decision.
1: And, and, and clearly this is, as you mentioned, this is becoming more mainstream. So I imagine that, you know, Comcap and and some of the other in, impact investing conferences and and gatherings are not so. Uh, fr- they don't feel so fringe any longer.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So Marco, where can people follow you and your work? What do your you mentioned your your website? Uh, what what social media? channels are you using? Uh, Well,
2: mostly mostly Facebook right now, so they can look at essential knowledge for transition. And I want to do something special for your audience. I'm going to send you a link to a very short survey uh, to find out uh, what your audience is interested in of the things we talked about today. And the people that will respond, I will invite them to an interactive call with me on the first Tuesday of the month, so we can have actually a live conversation. And explore the themes in more depth.
1: okay, well, that would be wonderful I, that would be fantastic. okay. well, I will look forward to getting that link and I will uh, put that on the Facebook page and also on I'll try to put it on the the show uh, the show page because that would Very be good. that would be awesome. so yes, that would be fascinating to, to see what what people have to say and what has struck people the most. Uh, as the most important here, since we do have listeners in almost 25 countries now. So, thank you, Marco. It has been a pleasure having you here today. I've really enjoyed this conversation.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I very much enjoyed it as well.
1: Wonderful. So, we've spoken about money, what it is, the benefits of slowing it down, community capital. What are the questions you need to ask when evaluating? different money system options and resources for those interested in exploring these topics further. So please feel free to reach out to Marco with additional questions and please respond to his survey. Follow him on the Facebook page. And, and I hope that those who join are have a really fascinating time with with this interactive call with him. I think that could be really fascinating. I also want to let people know that I'm accepting new coaching clients. So if you are seeking support for your own leadership development or your organization's journey of transformation, feel free to reach out to me via email, envision at regenerate.coach or visit my website at regenerate.coach. Thanks again for joining us today. See you next Tuesday. I'm your co-host, Thomas Rosenberg, and this is Envision.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. For more information about today's guests and upcoming shows, please see our show page on voiceamerica.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.